as we're worshiping, I'm thinking about God the Father, and this is what's coming to my mind. I'm thinking about when the terror of, of not, you know, their fatherhood has lots of terrors in it, right, dads? Um, but I remember what's coming to my mind is one specific one. When I had the realization that um, when your son admires you or when the son is aware of you as father, they become like you. They start imitating and like, like th that should be a good thing. Um, but then you start realizing, like you, you hear your language coming out of your children or you see your behaviors that you know I can remember some when this first he was just old enough for this my son when the this first started to happen I would see a behavior or hear a word that I said or something and, and I would think now where are you where are you getting that behavior for, like and then and I would go oh I think that was me and just realizing the the weight of, like, what do I want to say? I want to say, when we admire our Father, and the truth is, even when we don't, even when sometimes, like me and other fathers, we're not all that admirable. And yet somehow we become like them, our, um, our children. And, and so with our Father God... <laughs> One of the things, that's not what I'm really teaching on this morning, but I just feel like I have to say this. When we have God as our Father, whether we know it or not, the more we draw to Him, the more we admire Him, the more our eyes stay on Him, we become like Him. We pick up His language. We pick up the way that He thinks. We want to, what, what does the Word of God say? We want to do His will. You know, even though just like my son, I have plenty of rebellion that rears its head uh, all the time. The truth is somewhere deep inside, I, I want to be a doer of my father's will because I admire him. And whether we know it or not, whatever we put as authority over us, or let me go ahead and put it out there, whatever we idolize, we begin to, we begin to become like. <laughs> and how beautiful it is that, um, that the kingdom of God is a place where there's no such thing as a resident there that's not a son. <laughs> In other words, every one of us is to become like the father because we're his sons. Speak like he speaks. Do what he does. Think the way he thinks. You got it? And we're going to, that part is actually in the message we'll get there. It's very clearly in the word of God and it's so important we get that. But um, that was on my heart. And dads, I don't, well, we'll just have to pray this at the end, but I, uh, I'm finding myself through worship praying, Father, make me a father like you're a father. <laughs> a lot of my fatherhood lately has, has not been top notch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really pretty way of saying I've really been, there are lots of places where I've been screwing it up lately as a father. And it, you know what that does? The reason I'm sharing that is because it makes me so thankful for him. <laughs> Thank God for a perfect father that doesn't screw it up as often as I do. And a merciful father that says, I see you. I'm, I'm your father, so I'll make you a father. Can any dads relate? Couple. Okay, a couple. <laughs> Thank you guys for relating with me. <sighs> Let's just pray again for a moment, okay? Father, we ask your, your blessing on um, your words. We believe you when you say there, that your words are spirit and life. And we ask that your words would move in your mighty power on our hearts. I'm asking you for that. I'm asking a blessing over this new um, sermon series that you have planned for us here. And I, I just, I ask you that your presence, your spirit would be upon it so that we would be transforming, not just hearing words, but transforming into the people of your kingdom more, more, and more. We say more, Lord. And so we ask that blessing on this time right now. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so we're, we're starting a new series, okay? The finally, right? I we, the last one was went on, on and on and on. Um, it was good, though. Um, this series, I've, I've given it this 
title, The Kingdom Invitation. Okay, it's on my heart that every day we wake up, the Lord has an invitation. It's not a one-time thing when you gave your life to Jesus and you accepted his work. There's a continuous invitation. And what the Lord's impressing on me is that um, is that whether we're, we became a Christian last week or this morning or whether we've been walking with him for decades, for all of our life, perhaps, there are parts of the invitation that I'm convicted and I, I just kind of feel a corporate conviction that like we don't necessarily really understand what is the invitation that he invites us to. And I feel like, and that question, what is that question? Who is Jesus really? So what was he like? And I was actually inspired at the men's retreat. That was kind of the theme, and our, and our speaker was just amazing. It was such a blessing to me. It was, and that was the theme. Like, who is Jesus, Jesus really? What was he like? And the thing is, is, and after the retreat, what the Lord's been impressing on me is that we bring preconceptions, whether you know it or not, even over... The, the, the narratives, the stories in the Bible where you read about Jesus, you hear his words, we've heard them so many times, and, and it's not that your understanding from then was inaccurate. Or, I mean, there might be that too. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But it's not necessarily that it's inaccurate, but part of the invitation is deeper, deeper, deeper. And so I think one of the things that begins to happen is, is um, we bring a preconception to, to a story of him, a revelation of him or some of his words, and, and it doesn't allow us to, um, to know him better, to be transformed more, to go deeper. Are you guys tracking with me? And I think one of the, this would probably be a message in this series, but one of the things I think of is how does he say is the only way you can enter the kingdom? As a child. What? Well, what does that say to someone who's an adult like me? Or someone that you, someone who's lost who needs to find Jesus in his kingdom. What does it say to that? They can't enter? I believe what he's saying is it takes, how does a child do it? A child looks with fresh eyes. Everything they do is like they've never seen it before. Right? It's wonderful. And, and, it's, and it's marvelous. And with such an easy faith, they look with a fresh look. They bring so much less preconception. And they just, they receive, right? And I believe that, there's a call in order to really get parts of the invitation that we don't have yet. There's a call for us to go, I need to look fresh. I need to actually look at Jesus's words, parables he taught that I've heard a thousand times. And I need to look at it like I've never seen it before if I want to go somewhere different than I am right now. Amen. And we're going to do a lot of that um, in this series. Um, if you'll turn, I'm going to start in Psalm 90. Um, this one kind of surprised me. I didn't see this coming. I had all kinds of plans. But I want to start um, this series with this scripture, this whole psalm, actually. And um, I want to warn you, something weird's going to be going on. Um, we don't have the Passion Translation on our computer. Up here on the screen, um, you're going to be seeing um, New King James through either through the whole thing, I'm not sure, or definitely at parts of it, I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation because um, I just feel like I'm supposed to do it from here. And actually, I'll tell you why. There are parts that I'm reading where there's more interpretation given because it's, they included um, translation or interpretation from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the original Hebrew text, along with the English translation from the Greek, well, well just to try, it, that's what I wanted to pull in, okay? And the wording to me is amazing. But I'll, I'll actually just start reading Psalm 90 right in verse 1, and I'm actually going to just go with New King James at first, okay? Which is what's up here. Okay, here it says, Lord, well, and let me tell you this. I mean to introduce this. Oddly, this is a psalm um, of Moses, <laughs> Isn't that weird? I fall into the trap myself where I just think, well, all the Psalms are Psalms of David. And um, it's not true. If you slow down and look, you find out there, there are sections and different authors included in the Psalms. This is a Psalm of Moses. 
And I got to tell you, for me, people always say, what's your life passage? For me, like, Moses is my, my friend on the journey, okay? Jesus is my everything. <laughs> but to me, Moses is like the friend on the journey. I just, I always relate with what he went through, how he was with God. Um, he's, I'm about as dense as he was sometimes and, and everything else. So this is a Psalm of Moses. Okay, so verse one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Did you catch that? Even before the mountains were brought forth, do you know that he was your dwelling place um, before you, even before you were, even before... So to listen to these words, I'm going to start again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's our dwelling. Okay. Verse 3. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. I want you to see... The invitation begins right here, okay? In this prayer of Moses, the invitation is here. You turn man to destruction with a plan in mind, right? Because he plans an invitation for us. Return, O children of men. Okay, now watch what happens. There's this big part. I think I'm going to read without interrupting it for a while. Maybe if you pray for me, I'll be able to do that. (laughs) Verse 3. I did that one. Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they're like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. Actually, I got to tell you, I want you to be catching it. Do you know what's going on here? This, this word, this prayer is is. He's offering or being in touch with himself. That's really what's happening. Moses is being in touch with himself. In a sense, he's describing reality. (laughs) He's in touch with reality about himself. And that's what it offers or invites us to. Okay? So, So catch that it's talking about you, okay? In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath, we are terrified. Do you know it's appropriate to be terrified of his wrath? That's okay. We can go ahead and say it. (laughs) Do you know that wrath is loving? A good father without a certain wrath is not a good father. (laughs) Amen. Do you recognize that? And that's going to that's continue in the psalm. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. Now listen, it's starting to sound like, um, what's the book? Ecclesiastes, isn't it? <laughs> in other words, Moses was in touch with something, huh? Something that Solomon was in touch with. And I bet you're in touch with too. Verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they're 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. And actually, I'm going to go, I'm going to come in here now because I want to, I want to start just these last two verses from the Passion Translation, then I've got something to say. Um, thought I had this marked. Okay. Verse 10 and 11. I'm going to read that out of here, 10 and 11. Verse 10, you've limited our lifespan to a mere 70 years. Yet some you give grace to live still longer. Affects some people in this room, right? (laughs) But even the best of years are marred by tears and toils and in the end are nothing more than a gravestone in a graveyard. We're gone so quickly, so swiftly, we pass away and simply disappear. Verse 11, Lord, who fully knows, I like this, who fully knows the power of your passion and the intensity of your emotions? Yeah, he's like that over you. 
He's got a great passion. He has intensity of emotions. Moses knows this. So I want, I want to, here I'm just going to pause before I hit the real reason we're reading this to lay a foundation for this teaching series. What's the point here? I mean, so far in this prayer, in this intimacy he's having with the Father, what's he trying to get across? It's our, it's our frailty, right? It's, it's, the, it's the passing away of things. It's the limitation that we bring during this age. There's an aware, now listen, there's an awareness in this writing that because of Jesus, because he's your maker, you're an eternal creature. And yet there's something to be in touch with in terms of your days in, in this season that you get to live in. Which is what? Let's just do this. It's post resurrection pre his return to make everything about the kingdom have complete and full dominion over everything even the physical realm right we live in the middle of that post resurrection pre return you have the privilege the honor you're a son of god in that time and yet it's limited it's numbered right Okay, I'm gonna, am I doing okay? that make any sense? Okay, good. Um, I'm going to move to verse 12, and I'm going to keep reading this. from this. These are the verses why I had to do it from this translation. Verse 12, help us to remember that our days are numbered. What's that saying? In other words, there's, there's an aspect of, like, take account. You might as well have a grip on reality. Moses is praying here. Now, all of that leading up was for the, pr- for the real prayer, the real request on Moses' heart. The request here begins with, help, um, help us to remember that our days are numbered. In other words, help me to have a grip on reality, Lord. Help me to understand that, um, that you have given me this gift, and it has boundaries, it has a number. Is, is it important that we get a grip on that? Yes. Okay, all right. And that leads to this. Now listen, continuing verse 12, it says, and help us to interpret our lives correctly. Boy, that was the one that just like in neon lights, the Lord wouldn't let me get off of it. And I felt like the Lord was saying, that's going to be this series. That's going to be this series. And help us to interpret our lives correctly. Does anybody want to be able to interpret your life correctly? Okay. What we're going to, I'm going to keep reading here. So don't go nowhere, but <laughs> you're stuck anyway, right? Thank goodness. Um, what I want to say is um, help us to interpret our lives correctly. How do we interpret our lives correctly? I'm just going to put it out there. Jesus, and I'm going to show you, is the interpretation of your life. Okay, he's the interpretation of the Old Testament. He's the interpretation of the New Testament. He's the interpretation of reality. He's the interpretation of the reason your days are the number they are. He's the interpretation for the reason why, you, why the weird things that are happening to, to, happening to you today are happening to you today. The prayer here is help us interpret our lives correctly. So I'm going to suggest that it's going to take, the Lord's been impressing on me, it's going to require a fresh look at who he is, the kingdom that he says is upon us, the words that he speaks about it, if we want to interpret our lives correctly, more correctly than we do right now. You want that? Okay, let's do that. I'm going to read on. It goes on and says, now, now get this. Actually, I'm going to back up and do this again. So important. Help us to remember that our days are numbered. And help us to interpret our lives correctly. So, or I'm sorry, try that again. Set your wisdom deeply in our hearts so that we may accept your correction. Did you get it? Set your, word, set your wisdom deeply in our hearts so that we may accept your correction. Do you see the, do you see the um, connection? It's so important we get this. It's so important I get this. Lord, help me get this. The only way we accept his correction is if his wisdom is deeply set in our heart. 
Now, I have to say this. Um, you know, we, we get such a negative connotation of correction. Um, we've, we've had poor earthly fathers like, like a little bit I was last week. <laughs> and had to repent for. And it gives us wrong impressions of God the Father. Do y'all know that's true? So in other words, when we hear the word correction, some, some of us sometimes, maybe it's, some of us sometimes get the impression that God's like waiting to slap us around. Like, well, I, I got some correction for you. Come over here, boy. The word, do you know that the word correction merely means to, to set on the right course? It's, it means, I'm not saying it's not a harsh sometimes. You can read about his harshness because he loves us so much right here in the word of God. But I just think it's important to understand that when, when we read so that we can accept your correction, it just really means so that we can accept your, your course change for us. Put us on the right road. I, we get off track. I get off track. How badly do we need his correction to be, to be walking rightly, to be, to be residing in his kingdom instead of the world kingdom? That's all that's saying. It's saying, set your wisdom deeply in, in my heart so that, so that I'm operating from a place of wisdom so that I can accept your correction. Otherwise, I'm going to live a miserable life. I'm going to harm people. I'm not going to produce, well, you, you are going to produce fruit. Hear that from me. You cannot help but produce fruit. The only question is, is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? (laughs) You are walking around producing fruit, period. So that we may accept your correction. Verse 13, return to us again, O God. How much longer will it take until you show us your abundant compassion? Isn't that weird? Um, how can you pray, Lord, re- return to me? Doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, he did, like he left us? Like it's possible to escape the presence of God? It's, it's impossible. You're never outside. So I want to tell you, part of this series, excuse me, is in this, is, is in the development of an awareness of his available presence, his available kingdom. What's the invitation there? Not your preconception of it or mine, but how about the reality of what the invitation is? It requires a certain awareness, a spiritual realm awareness that I believe um, when you pay attention, Jesus actually spoke and he actually demonstrated. Okay, Um, I'm going to finish reading this psalm. I'm actually going to go back to... Um, I'm at verse 14. I'm going to go back to the New King James so you can follow along normally. Okay. Yep, right here. Verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we've seen evil. Do you know evil just means harm done? or to cause harm. It says, and here it is. Here's the awareness. Verse 16, let your work appear to your servants. I want you to know something. It doesn't say work among your servants. <laughs> Why? I, I think it's very clear. Moses knew that God never stopped working. <laughs> Notice that he says, let your work appear. I'm going to tell you, it can be like night and day for me and other people that I interact with where it's amazing sometimes. And I I need to put this out. I can be guilty, and I'm sure that I am guilty of this all the time. It's always easier to note stuff on other people, isn't it? (laughs) But I want to tell you what I note on other people to make this point. Permit me that. It amazes me how often um, I'll see the amazing work of God. I'll see his loving and powerful activity on the move, and I'll be having a conversation with someone who's witnessing the exact same atmosphere, going through the exact same experience, and they cannot see God. I'm not saying ever. I just mean in that moment. There's no awareness of the movement of the Spirit, of the love of God, of what he's up to. You follow me? And this says, so this says, Lord, he's, this is, he's still praying, let your work appear to your servants. Let it appear. How often did Jesus go around opening blind eyes? <laughs> He's an eye opener, isn't he? Let it appear. And your glory to their um and your glory to their children 
Okay, now I have to go back to the Passion Translation. This is not working out. Verse 16. It's so important we get this part. Verse 16 says, Let us see your miracles again, and let the rising generation see the glorious wonders you're famous for. Now, I want to tell you, this is a kingdom series. This is the kingdom invitation, okay? So I've got to say this. Um, what's he saying? Do you notice he says, let, let, your, um, let us see your miracles again, okay? And watch it. In other words, they, they must not be in a season of, of great and apparent miracles going on. Now, he just established that God doesn't stop working. He says, let that appear. Let us see your miracles again. But is it because he has a miracle addiction? <laughs> I don't think it is. I want to show you something. It's, it's the same sentence where he says, let us see your miracles again and let the rising generation see the glorious wonders you're famous for. I want to tell you what's going on there. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Amen. Okay, that means he gets to set the culture. In fact, something we've lost in our culture is that the king is the kingdom and the kingdom is the king. Okay, we don't get that because we, um, don't worry, I'm not going to get all political, but it's hard for us in our culture to understand that because we elect presidents and stuff. And see, our, our kingdom exists apart from the president, and we get to choose and decide whether we loathe that person or whether we love them. <laughs> and we expect that that person will keep the kingdom intact even if it's not the way you like it. You follow me? That's a phenomenon that's pretty new in the world scheme of things, um, that, that, that type of thing. In Jesus' Jesus's kingdom is a kingdom. So in other words, his nature, his essence, his will, his thoughts, it, the, the essence of Jesus is the kingdom. We might define the kingdom as everything the Spirit fills, everything the Spirit of Jesus fills, Right? Okay, so what's going on here? Here is, here is something that you will find throughout this book that is a reality thing that if we don't get a grip on, we need some correction. And it is right here in this. It says, let us see your miracles again and let the rising generation see the glorious wonders you're famous for. In other words, what? This is a kingdom that's focused on the next generation. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's like a, a prophecy word for now. I'm saying it's always been that way, and it will always be that way. <laughs> it's all through the book. It's, it's all, God didn't want that to be a great mystery that we weren't aware of. The kingdom is for the next generation. We, when you're kingdom building, when you're co cooperating, doing what the Father's doing, what you're doing is preparing for the next generation to be in the next step of his glorious plan. <laughs> and this is also making clear that, that Moses understands something. He's not just saying, let us see your miracles again. He's thinking of the next generation. He's saying, let us see your miracles again because otherwise we're not going to set up or prepare a next generation that is in touch with who you are and what you do. We will have raised a bunch of religious people, <laughs> which Jesus um, attacked. That'll be in this series. He was, you know, you know that Jesus was not a very religious guy. Did you catch it when you read? <laughs> he saw it as the greatest enemy of being in the movement of the kingdom of God for the next generation. I mean, we go to church, I do it myself, we go to church and we think, we think well, that's, that's not really my style of teaching, or that's, that's not the type of music I prefer. I'm really more of, a, more of a this type of music person or something. And I get it. It's very important that you have those things that you need feeding you in your life as well. But it's, I'm going to put it out there. It's even more important to understand that what God's always up to is preparing the way for the next generation. And at some point in our life, we reach the maturity that the Apostle Paul talks about, where when we enter into the community of faith, we realize everything we're about when I show up here is not so much me. <laughs> 
as it is that the Lord delights to prepare things for the next generation. He's getting ready to do stuff. And part of the kingdom invitation is inviting us to join him in what he's preparing for them to do. Amen. Somebody gave me an amen. Thanks for that. I'm so encouraged. (laughs) I know that's not the most delightful thing to hear. Sometimes that's a paradigm shift. Sometimes you've got to break a couple of walls in my brain. Yet you've got to remind me, oh yeah, it's not all about me. <laughs> Forgot about that again, right? <laughs> and he finishes saying, oh Lord, our God, now listen to this, let your sweet beauty rest upon us. Can you imagine if that was true? I mean, like deeply and really true, where when they looked here, what, they, what, what everyone out there sees, the whole world would be saved already. <laughs> That's all it would take. If his, you know, his beauty is upon us, don't get me wrong. But just like Moses, Moses realized there's some beauty that's not upon them. <laughs> We're pretty ugly as a representative of you. This is kind of what you read there, isn't it? Let your, let your sweet beauty rest upon us. Come work with us, and then our works will endure, and you will give us success in all we do. Do you know that it's not sinful to desire success, <laughs> especially as it pertains to his kingdom? In fact, do you know that that's what you're made for, to be the place of success for his kingdom? I said a lot more about that than I planned on saying. <laughs> um, let's move on. You know, I want to I wanna tell you some things then. I want to begin introducing this series, and, and um, this is good. Then we're actually going to start. We're going we're gonna to take a fresh look at a couple of things, just a couple quick ones. Um, I just want to say, um, let's do this. Do you know that um, Jesus only did five things? Now, I know you, we could, don't argue with me after the service. Don't come and go, no, there's a sixth one, and there, I'm sure there are more, okay? But primarily, <laughs> perhaps, Jesus only did five things. And you might discover, in fact, here's your assignment. As I tell you what they are, um, look for how they're all the same thing. What's the commonality of all of them? The first one is he taught people about the institution of a kingdom. Everything, I'm going to suggest that of the 52 parables, every one of them was about a new kingdom that he was establishing and he was telling them what it's like. He was, it, every parable was an invitation to leave one disgusting kingdom, the world one, and come into the kingdom of God and tell us what that's like, how to do it. So he taught about the establishment of a kingdom. The second thing he did was displayed, <laughs> um, displayed the kingdom that is available in his presence. Okay. In other words, the first two things is he taught about it. The second one was he he did it. He manifested it. He demonstrated it. That's the second thing he did. The third thing is he shut down religious people and religious spirits that stood in that kingdom's way. It's really the only place you see him attacking anybody. But oh boy, when, when he was attacking them, he was attacking. Is that right? Okay, that's the third thing. The fourth thing is perhaps the obvious one you think of most. He marched toward the establishment of that kingdom. His entire life was faithfully walking toward the it is finished, which is already spoken. You recognize that. He already spoke the words it is finished. <laughs> what he taught about it was this kingdom is, a, is upon you, which literally in the original language means it's within your reach. In other words, go ahead, reach out and grab it. He purposely put it within your reach to grab. It's here. It's here. Now, now don't, don't mishear us. It's important. This is where you get people going heresy and you get people wanting to fight against you and whatever. It, it's important to understand, yes, we are waiting. For our, oh, boy, are we waiting. 
for him to come back and, and put everything, every single thing under the submission of that kingdom. In the meantime, we live in the glorious period where he says it's within your reach. It's right there. Reach out and grab it. In fact, you're made to do that, to do what he did, to, to teach it, to speak it, to manifest it um, for his glory. He, you, you cannot walk away from this and interpret differently that that's what he meant. I'm going to show you before we're done here, for sure, at least that part. And the fifth thing that he did was um, he sent people to do the first four things he did. <laughs> Man, seriously. I mean, you notice a lot of what's recorded in the scriptures is, is the public part of his ministry. But you realize he, surely, like um, just by common sense, if you think about it, most of his time was spent preparing 12, 11 of which would go on and do the four things he did. It would create a bride who would go on and do the four things he does. So the kingdom is the scene. <laughs> you see, the kingdom is the scene. And um, we, we've lost that idea to some degree. Um, now, we're going to jump into a scripture here, but first I just got to say this one thing. Um, you know, Jesus was the model for what we're invited to. Now, amen. Now, I have to be very careful because somebody's going, uh-oh, was Jesus? A lot of people say Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a model of a good way to live. And I, I need you to hear me. I am not saying that. Jesus is eternal God. Jesus was, always will be um, the son of the father, the eternal son of the father. He is God. Okay? So when I say, what did I say? When I say that he's the model for that invitation, I'm saying, and in addition to that, <laughs> the good plan of the Father was to send Jesus to model what we're invited into as God, okay? <clears throat> and here's what I want to do. Actually, just go to John chapter 5 and verse 19. I'm going to show you two things that are so critical for your life if you want, if you want any joyful, fruitful, reality-based participation in the kingdom. John 5, 19 says, Then Jesus answered and said to them. So here's the words of Jesus. Can I encourage you? I know it's, there's an element where it's impossible to do this, but with the Spirit's help, I believe you can look at this with fresh eyes, and I invite you to do this through this whole series like you've never heard these words before. I know you've heard them before. <laughs> let's do this. Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. He sees modeling. But what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Another version I read said that your mind may be blown. <laughs> I was like, does it really? I can't remember which version it was. Um, blow our mind, Lord. <laughs> Go and do it. Um, okay, so you see, what is that really saying? That is saying um, Jesus only does what the Father does. Okay, now track with me. Hold that and go to John 12, verse 48. Then we'll talk about both. Jesus speaking says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So what were the two things we just read? He, he does what the Father does, and he only says what the Father is saying. 
Okay, that is Jesus's, I'm going to say that is Jesus's primary example to us of how we are kingdom people, how we enter into the invitation that, that, that he calls us into. What are we invited to? I mean, really, we got to stop and ask the question again, like we've never asked it before. What's he calling us into? In other words, church, here's what I'm saying. We have got to quit letting the fact that we should know what the, be able to know, be in touch with, have the intimacy that we know what the Father's saying, that we know what he's up to, we know what he's doing. That cannot be a mysterious, untouchable platitude anymore. Um, Are you following me? Um, Because otherwise, Jesus would have set up an impossible model. You were made to know what the Father's saying. If you weren't, you should never open your mouth. (laughs) You follow me? You were made to know what the Father's up to or what he's doing. Because if you weren't made for that, you should have stayed in bed this morning. You can only go out and get yourself in trouble. Or, or at least, let's say, you certainly cannot participate in anything that's happening in the kingdom of God unless you know what the Father's saying or something about what he's doing. In another place, Jesus said, um, I call you friends. Do you remember why he calls you friends? He calls you friends because he says, basically, the passage, I don't know where it is right now. Basically, the passage says, I don't keep any secrets from you. I tell you everything. Everything my father tells me, I tell you. Why? Because it's absolutely critical that you are in touch with what the father is saying and doing. It's not an unachievable, unachievable platitude. It was never supposed to be that way. And Jesus models it. He only does. Father, make me somebody that only does what you do, that only says what you say, and then I'll be getting somewhere. (laughs) Amen? How much calamity would that save us? Anybody tracking? (laughs) We either believe that Jesus was demonstrating the way to participate in the kingdom, or we don't. (laughs) That's it. And it's a joyous invitation. Do you know, how many of you know the joy of having a certainty of, I know what the Father's saying. I need to speak this. I I know what you're doing, Lord. I want in. (laughs) There is nothing more joy. In fact, I'm going to say any other joy is a fake one. It's a counterfeit. That's the definition of joy. Because that's the only thing that you were ever actually made for to be a resident of the kingdom of God, actively involved in the glorification of Jesus and the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom. I said more about that than I planned on saying too. (laughs) That's going to be this series. Actually, I think we got to do this. Okay. Go to Matthew 10. And I, I just hope I'm really laying a foundation here, okay? In this series, we're going we're gonna to be looking at Jesus, what he did. We're going to be looking at parables he spoke. What's going on in that parable? The Lord's been blowing my mind lately in terms of I'm looking at these parables, parables that I'm pretty sure I'm not exaggerating. It's probably true I've read it at least hundreds of times. I've meditated it on, on it at least a quarter as many times. And I'm seeing things with like eyes open about the real invitation to be in the kingdom. We're going to do some of that. That's my, that's, I'm hoping to get you excited that none of you had a reaction. We're going to do stuff like that. Matthew 10 and verse 5. This is the sending of the 12, okay? I'm just going to grab a couple of quick things. This is one of those that I know you've heard this before. But let's look at something. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Notice that, um, uh, let me do this quick. Notice that in God's calling, in the participation, this is what we were just talking about. 
it was vital that they actually understood what the father was doing, what he was up to. There are some specifics here. <laughs> Did you catch that? He's not just saying, okay, go do good things. <laughs> he's saying he's sending to a particular people, a particular place. Yes, and it goes on verse 7. As you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So just note that <laughs> just like you this morning, one of the five things that Jesus does is send people to do exactly what he did, does. He, he's not sending them with some other message. He only ever had one message. There's an offer of a kingdom for you. <laughs> Amen? So he sends them saying, say what? Say again? Reach up and grab it. It's, it's within your reach. He's saying, go tell them it's right at your hands. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. In other words, what? Isn't that crazy? He's telling them to do exactly what he does. He says, what's, he, what's it boil down to? He says, tell them and then show them. Freely you've received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. Verse 11, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. Now listen to this. Verse 12, and when you go into a household, greet it. Isn't that a funny statement? <laughs> I mean, he... This, doesn't this make you pause and go, I know he's trying to say something right there. Like, what would you do? Just go into the house and, and forget to say hello and just, just come? I mean, obviously you're going to greet it. What's really going on here? I want to show you something. This, this language, greet it, was really like they're welcome. Okay, be welcoming. So in other words, like when... Um, like when people show up here in this house of God, um, I'm sure that it's the first thing on your mind when you show up on Sunday that, that you have a plan to be as welcoming to everybody walks in this place as possible, right? Give me a nod. <laughs> but I want to show you something here. It gets reversed. It's literally reversed backwards. It's this upside-down kingdom that he has. In other words, what's he saying? When you go to their house, be welcoming in invite them when you go into their house. Do you see the reversal? Do you see how odd that is? In other words, what is that? You are the one that has something to invite them to. They got nothing. <laughs> That's what this is saying. It's, otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. And the more you dig and research at the language and what scholars have said about it, it's if the household is worthy, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped. And when you go into a household, greet it. In other words, bring the invitation that you house into that household. That's good. I don't care who you are. It goes on and says, If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, I know you guys heard this before. I just got to put this out there, though. Um, in other words, the kingdom of God is an immediate offer of peace to people. The word would have been shalom. And what we've got to say is it's not, not um, offer peace like they didn't have a boombox and put on yoga music. The <laughs> Although, I don't know, that maybe that would have been helpful. Maybe it's helpful in our culture. I'm just saying shalom was a really big concept for them. It actually, the, the best definition, if you did a really quick, concise one, which is almost impossible, is the word alignment. Offer them alignment with God, to be aligned, the invitation to align with God for the first time in their life. And it's an immediate offer. It's not something about offer them that someday Jesus is going to return and he's going to make everything under submission and right. This was an immediate thing. This was an offer of, of peace with God right now today. In other words, you know, Jesus, one of the things about the kingdom, he always pressed to decision. He was not a conflict avoider. Did you notice that? 
he always purposely would press people to make a decision. And that's what he's telling them to do right here. He's saying, if it's worthy, in other words, let your peace come upon it. In other words, if they accept it, that's worthiness. If they don't, let it return to you. In other words, well, that was your chance. I'm out of here. That's what he's telling them to do. I mean, honestly, so it, you, you got the choice. You've been given the decision. If you don't want to go there, it's okay with me. My, I'm not responsible for that. My job is to offer you the alignment to God immediately, today, right now. But I mean, notice <laughs> that the right to do this is that they were demonstrating that kingdom. He said, tell them it's upon you, show them, and then offer the, offer the invitation to be a part of it. If they get these things and refuse it, then you go, okay. And whoever will not receive nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. But see, the, the critical thing to get here, though, church, is in order to participate, they had to know what the Father is saying. What was he saying? What was the message? The kingdom, go tell them the kingdom of heaven is upon you. This is what the Father is saying, okay? And they, they had to know what the Father is doing. What was the Father doing in the passage? He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. What's the Father doing? He's casting demons. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that in, in every household they went into, they didn't do all of those things in every household they went into. It was about what, what's recorded here is an invitation to know what the Father's up to so that you are a demonstrator of a kingdom that is not of this world. You offer things that people cannot get in this world. It cannot offer it to them. But you were made to offer it to them. I think that's exciting. <laughs> that's you. You were made to do that. That's the invitation. And I think we need to, this, this entire series is going to be looking at, man, we really need to get, have a fresh look at what kingdom this is that we offer. I mean, if we're living like half world and half kingdom, um, we, begin to, we begin to mingle something that does not cause people to accept the offer. <laughs> it does not cause the spirit to have total freedom to manifest that kingdom so that they, they come face to face with a decision. Last thing, Romans 12, probably perhaps one of the most famous verses. You've heard this all the time. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I'm going to read on, so keep your finger there if you're a page-turner. Now listen to me. Um, you notice it says, it's your reasonable service. What's your reasonable service? To live as a, as a living sacrifice. You know, holy just means set apart. Living sacrifice. Set apart. Acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. Now, now let me say something. Do you know that every kingdom has reasonable service? You follow me? at least what that kingdom thinks is reasonable. <laughs> there are some oppressive kingdoms in this world where the expectation of reasonable service is, is abuse of human beings, right? But now you think I'm talking about out there somewhere, <laughs> some communist nation somewhere. Let me tell you something. If you, whether you realize it or not, the kingdom of this world is always demanding upon you its reasonable service. I know you know what I'm talking about. 
If you, if you think for just a second. It's, I mean, the demands are continuous. The demands are, are unacceptable in some cases. The dem- it goes on and on and on and on until we're, until we're bashed and battered. The, reason, the world kingdom that is opposed to God's kingdom has its own reasonable service demands. We are, as much as we live in the world kingdom, as we give into its ways that are contrary to God, I just think before we do the next thing, you've got to recognize that you are paying a price. The reasonable service of that, I'm sorry, the price of the reasonable service for that kingdom, what that kingdom thinks is reasonable. Does that make sense? I mean, that's clear enough. Here, this is the, this, whether you realize it or not, even this is a kingdom scripture. It says, it says, present your, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service for this kingdom. And do, and here's, here's the proof that I'm not, I'm not running off somewhere crazy, doing something with this. Verse two says, and do not be conformed to this world. Not, this, not the reasonable service of that kingdom. It's a call to the reasonable service of this kingdom. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So a lot of that is what this series is going to be, okay? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is that? Transformed to thinking how? Transformed to thinking what? I'm going to suggest that that even for those of us that have been walking as a disciple of Jesus for years and years and years, there are so many things about the kingdom, his kingdom invitation that we don't quite get, that we need to slow down. We need to go with a child's eyes and look again at what did he actually say. Now, I think like this (laughs) when it comes to his kingdom and what that invitation is, but what did he actually say? What do the parables actually tell us? What did he actually demonstrate? Who was he really? Not, I think about him a certain way, and, and I know you all know him to the degree that you know him. You have intimacy with him to the degree that you have that intimacy. And I'm going to suggest that there's not a one of us that, that doesn't continuously have need that if we want to go deeper into the kingdom invitation then what the calling is is to stop and go, Lord, give me the eyes of a child. You've got to, re- you've got to transform my mind so that what? So that I may prove, or, or sh- you know what prove means? Demonstrate, show out. So that's what that really means, that I may be a demonstrator of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that I may demonstrate that kingdom here. It requires renewal of the mind. I personally think that's good news. That's the invitation. Whenever they had questions, Jesus would say something like, like he wouldn't, you notice how often he doesn't exactly give the answer? He would say, come and see. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Okay, I'll follow you. Um, Follow me. And in the course of keeping your eyes on him, the five things that he does and watching him do it, our minds are transformed (laughs) into people who actually are citizens of the kingdom. A different kingdom. A kingdom that's not of this world. That is is within reach. I think the father's going, my gosh, I, I put it. I put it right here within your reach. And, and we're like going, all right, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm, I'm following you, and I'm waiting for you to come back, and I am so with you. And he's, and he's like pushing the kingdom at us. He's put it right within reach. But our preconceptions, the need for a transformed mind has us keep our hands in our pocket. Instead of reaching out and taking that kingdom, he means for you to have the joy. Otherwise, otherwise, he's a fraud and a phony all the way through the whole story because it's the only thing he ever talked about. It's the only thing he ever taught. It's the only thing he ever demonstrated. And now he says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to take of what is mine and give it to you. That's what he said right after raising from the dead. You do it now. And I'm with you. 
until the end of the age. You know, I just want to do um, one thing in closing. Um, we don't always do this here. Um, but I feel the need to do this for, for listeners, for viewers out there. Um, if you are intrigued by what you're hearing today and you, you're not quite even sure what we're talking about, but you know you went in, <laughs> this could be your day. God's calling you. A good father is calling you to be a son of God. His invitation into this kingdom that's not of this world is for you. <laughs> and he is on the edge of your seat wait, just waiting for you to make that decision. And I just want to tell you, you can make the decision today. It's not, um, it's not magic. It is a miracle, but it's not magic. All you need to do is say, I accept you, Jesus. I accept what you've done and thank him for inviting you to come into him, into his life. You can do that right now. And I encourage you, if you're anywhere local here, um, you can call, you can come here, and we will help you just take the next steps and know more about this kingdom that you've come into. If you're in one of the other 17 countries out there that we are apparently reaching, um, look for a church that honors the name of Jesus in your area and just go see them. Just go tell them what you've done. And let me pray for you now. Father, I pray for all those who just now made a decision. They're, they're fed up with the kingdom of this world. And they've just made a decision that they want what you have to offer. They want into your kingdom. They want you to be your Lord and Savior. I command in the authority of the name of Jesus that the enemy has to lift off of their lives right now. And that the, the path is going to be made completely straight for them to get into contact with who they need, wherever you are, to start a brand new life and a brand new joy-filled kingdom in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, I think we should also pray for fathers, okay? Actually, for men, <laughs> Yeah? Will, men, will the men just stand up? If you want to be prayed for, just stand up. How many of you think there's, attack, there's an attack on, on males? <laughs> now, we could do the same thing with fe There's an attack on females. But do you know that the attack is not the same? You recognize that, don't you? That there is a very specific attack on the strength of God's men for the kingdom stuff we're talking about this morning. And um, what I would like to do now, if you guys want to join me, rather than just, just like pray over you, I'd like you guys to join me in, in taking all the strength that God designed you for. And I want you to declare, I'll, I'm going to lead through this and stuff, but I feel like we should declare that the enemy has to cease in the authority of Jesus' name um, on Jesus' authority in his men, um, both us standing here. And how about we do this for um, that this would lift off a of Teller County, the attack on God's men. Yeah? You all in? Okay. All right. Do this with me. Do this with me. Um, and you don't have to repeat or nothing. I just wanted you to know what we're doing. Lord, we thank you that it is your good plan that your kingdom is filled with strong men who love you courageous men who carry the power of the Holy Spirit within them. And I declare, in fact, every one of us men here declares in the name of Jesus that the enemy, you must take your hands off by the authority of the name of Jesus now. The men in this place and men all across Teller County, we throw down in the name of Jesus the stronghold of the attack on, on masculine strength over Teller County. Um, we release the confusion of manhood over Teller County, the confusion of identity. In the name of Jesus, we cast off and we declare freedom over people's lives because your kingdom is a, is a promise for freedom and, and we evoke your promises right now, Lord. We invoke that. And Father, I pray a blessing on each man here, each man across Teller County. 
And I bless all you men in the name of Jesus with the ability to hear the Father's voice. I bless you men with the ability to see what he's doing and the courage to do it with him. I bless you in the name of Jesus to have the courage to stop evil when you see it. I bless you in Jesus' name to have joy again overflow out of your heart. Father, I pray that you'd be making, a, making this piece, this Teller County piece of your kingdom, that there would be joy-filled men that, that everyone in the county looks at and says, Where do you, what, what are you so joyful about? <laughs> What could you possibly have to be joyful about? Father, I bless these men with the joy of your kingdom in Jesus' name. That our invitation to your kingdom would be, would be a joyful, peaceful, and powerful invitation. I bless you men and the men of Teller County with power to overcome evil. Power <laughs> to represent you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mm -hmm.